Pray with me if you would. Father, we come into your presence um, very needy of you. The things that we hope happen here today are not things that we can manufacture. Yes, we've scheduled a time to come together and do the outward things that accompany growth within a church, spiritual growth, taking of the Lord's Supper, welcoming new members, but for it to mean anything, for it to be anything more than a tradition or an outward going through the motions, your spirit has to be here. Your word has to be active, living, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of bone and marrow, discerning the thoughts of the heart and mind. I pray that it would be so today for us. We would hear from your word, hear from you as your Holy Spirit speaks in the very words of Scripture. And that our hearts would be stirred, that our minds would be lifted, that our eyes would be lifted up, that our gaze would be lifted towards heaven and we would see your truth, we would see your glory, and that our hearts would rejoice. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we finished up our teaching during the Sunday school hour regarding uh, becoming a member of the church. And the last piece of that is discussing how you as a member can use your gifts to serve the church, which is why you receive the gifts from God, resources, talents, abilities, whatever you'd call it. That's why you have what you have is to benefit or to encourage your brother and sister. And I made the comment regarding the gifts of healing that the Bible references that you can't schedule a miracle. The Holy Spirit does what he wants to do. You don't like, all right, right now at 530, we're going to have a miracle, right? You can't do that. But I realized inadvertently I'd scheduled a miracle this morning in that I'm only going to preach for 15 minutes. So if it happens, okay, then you will have witnessed a miracle. So if you will turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians 2. This is a very interesting passage, and the part I'm going to read is actually a parenthesis. Paul is proving a point regarding his heart towards the Corinthian congregation, and he, he basically interjects a thought, a theological point, and then he resumes his discourse. So we're not going to talk about what point he was trying to prove. We're just going to talk about that theological parenthesis, okay? Verse 19, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. So we come together today to try and, as I said earlier, stir one another up to joy in the Lord. We're commanded to rejoice in the Lord always, and this isn't a small or little thing, and it's not lollipops and skipping and unicorns, this vision of what the Christian life is to be. This is a difficult, challenging command that he gives to us to rejoice in the Lord always. 
We're even given a model, as I said before we enjoyed breakfast together, in the life of David where he rebukes himself. He looks at his soul and his downcast heart and he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. There's an inner argument that he's having with himself saying, I see the truth sometimes, but I don't see the truth sometimes. So he's rebuking himself in his clearer moments to rejoice in God. And that's what we have to do every day. This is a discipline to rejoice in the Lord always, to follow this command. And so why this text? Why should I pick this uh, kind of parenthesis, this interesting phrase? It has to do with this word, amen. We say it a lot. We say it at the end of most prayers. It's in a lot of songs. We read it in scripture. And it's one of those religious words that we just begin to use. And the meaning behind it, the theological significance behind it, escapes us because it becomes so common, so frequently used. In this text, you see, Paul ties this idea of amen to the idea of yes. And in Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Really, this concept of rejoicing in the Lord, having joy in the Lord, has a lot of confusion surrounding it. We've been told, most of us, that there is such a thing as happiness, Right? And that's something you feel when you get your favorite ice cream or when you get to go to an amusement park or your favorite sports franchise wins. That's happiness. And then joy is something completely different. Right? Joy in the Lord, something deeper, something more eternal. I'm here to tell you today that the Bible uses those terms interchangeably. Happiness and joy. And in fact, the word we translate as blessed, in the Sermon on the Mount especially, blessed are those who... And Jesus goes on and on and on. It's really better translated or could be translated happy, joyful, full of joy. They're, they're almost synonymous for the biblical authors. We tend to think of joy and happiness and things that we feel as tangible things that we got to go out and get, that something gives to us. We got to go, go out and get that thing so that it can give us joy. And we think of it sort of like a, like a force or a... Uh, just an emotion, something that hits you and that comes to you through the things you get and the experiences you have. And that's not what joy is at all. Tying it back into this concept of yes and amen, it brings a little bit more clarity of how the Bible understands joy. The way that you can put the two together, happiness and joy, it's not about so much trying to distinguish the two the difference between the happiness that the world gives and the joy that is available in the Lord is essentially what you set your hope in. What the deep yes of the soul is for you. Where do you put your hope? And if you set your hope in the success that you have at your workplace, if you set your hope in your favorite sports franchise winning a championship, if you put your hope in your health, if you put your hope in your family, if you put it in your spouse and your children, all of those things will break. If they haven't broken already. And so they will not satisfy. Those are broken cisterns. Lord calls them in Isaiah. They, they give water for a little bit, 
But then they break, they run out, and there's nothing left at the bottom, and you've got to go dig another broken cistern. And this is the spirit of what Jesus says to the woman at the well. If you drink the water that I give, you'll never thirst again. Because if you set your hope and your joy and your happiness, if you put your yes, you shove your chips to the middle of the table in Christ, if you hope in Him, then He satisfies. It doesn't break. It's not a broken cistern. He will become for you a wellspring of life and joy. I came to give them life and that they would have it more abundantly. This isn't talking about riches. It's your joy. It's your hope. That deep yes of the soul. When we think about the Lord, and we've been, we've been going through Hebrews as a church, right? Hopefully you remember. And for the last three months, really, we've been really digging down about the identity of Jesus and who he is to us and what he has done for us. And if your joy is set in God, if your hope is set in him, namely in Jesus, that is the one who always satisfies. That is the one who gives you hope and joy everlasting. He's the one who through whom God created all things. He's the one that God has subjected all things to. He's the one who has gone to the lower parts of the earth and defeated the dark-robed Lord of the dead. For you, He undid the one who had the power to undo you, that is, the devil, and triumphed, walked out of the grave without anyone standing outside telling Him to rise. He walked out on His own. He's the one who's your older brother. He's the one who gives you a place at the table in the family of God. He's the one who promises to you an inheritance in the coming world. He's the one who shows us the way, shows us how to live, not by commanding us from heaven, but by living humbly as an example for us. These are big words, great ideas. And it is so easy to forget them. What our heart tells us on a daily basis is that when we don't get our way, when we don't get what we want, when the thing we like, that broken cistern where we put our trust, fails us, that we have a right to be depressed, angry, frustrated, unhappy. And it's because we've been deceived, we've let ourselves be deceived, or we have deceived ourselves into thinking that it's okay for the gospel and those great, big, grandiose things that I just told you about Jesus, reminded you, hopefully, if you were listening in our study of Hebrews, we've deceived ourselves into thinking that it's not important to keep those in our minds. Because when that truth reigns in your heart and mind, that is the deep yes of the soul for you. And I know that is hard. I am guilty of this myself. When something doesn't go my way, when someone moves the cheese, moves my cheese, as people say, I can lose it. I can be what people call OCD. I just think they should drive right, you know? 
and so many other things. And we let little things like that, and sometimes it's much bigger things. I'm not trying to trivialize it. It can be your health, chronic pain. That's a big deal. A loss of a loved one, that's a big deal. Someone you love suffering ongoing pain or a terrible circumstance, that's a huge deal. But what's a bigger deal than those things is that Christ has won. He's victorious. The prophet that Moses said would come like him, the final prophet, the one through whom God spoke his final word, has come, given us that final word, died in our place, drank the cup of the wrath of God so we wouldn't have to, and promises us a home in heaven with him. If you believe that, then you can rejoice in the Lord always. There may be pain. There may be still frustration that you're fighting off while you're preaching to your own heart, saying to hope in God. Some of you have it harder than others, but we all share in humanity. And each of us will or already has encountered things that make that extremely difficult. So today, what we do together in this place, on a weekly basis, but especially today, is to preach to ourselves, hear the preaching of the word, and preach to each other to rejoice in the Lord. That is primarily what the Lord's Supper is about. As often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. It's implied there that He is alive now and is coming. So we're proclaiming the totality of the gospel when we take the bread and take the cup. Until he comes. So let's pray. And when we're done praying, we will do something else before we get to the Lord's Supper. We will have new members come up who are ready to join with us in this pursuit of rejoicing in the Lord. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for all that it means, and I pray that we would be able to rejoice in you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.